0: Letter fifty of Evelina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Evelina by Fanny Burney. Letter fifty. Evelina to the Reverend Mr. Villas, Holborn, june twenty seventh. I have just received, my dearest sir, your kind present, and still kinder letter. Surely never had orphans so little to regret as your grateful Evelina. Though motherless, though worse than fatherless, bereft from infancy of the two first and greatest blessings of life, never has she had cause to deplore their loss, never has she felt the omission of a parent's tenderness, care, or indulgence never but from sorrow for them had reason to grieve at the separation. Most thankfully do I receive the token of your approbation, and most studiously will I endeavour so to dispose of it, as may merit your generous confidence in my conduct. Your doubts concerning Mr. McCartney give me some uneasiness. Indeed, sir, he has not the appearance of a man whose sorrows are the effect of guilt. But I hope, before I leave town, to be better acquainted with the situation, and enabled with more certainty of his worth, to recommend him to your favour. I am very willing to relinquish all acquaintance with Sir Clement Willoughby, as far as it may depend upon myself to do so, but indeed I know not how I should be able to absolutely forbid him my sight. Miss Mervyn, in her last letter, informs me he is now at Howard Grove, where he continues in high favour with the captain, and is the life and spirit of the house. My time, since I wrote last, has passed very quietly, Madame Duval having been kept at home by a bad cold, and the Brantons by a bad weather. The young man, indeed, has called two or three times, and his behaviour, though equally absurd, is more unaccountable than ever. He speaks very little, takes hardly any notice of Madame Duval, and never looks at me without a broad grin. Sometimes he approaches me as if with intention to communicate intelligence of importance, and then, suddenly stopping short, laughs rudely in my face. Oh, how happy shall I be when the worthy Mrs. Clinton arrives! June twenty ninth. Yesterday morning Mr. Smith called to acquaint us that the Hampstead Assembly was to be held that evening, and then he presented Madame Duval with one ticket, and brought another to me. I thanked him for his intense civility, but told him I was surprised he had so soon forgotten my already having declined going to the ball. "'Lord, ma'am!' cried he. "'How should I suppose you was in earnest? Come, come, don't be cross. Here's your grandmamma ready to take care of you, so that you can have no fair objection, for she'll see that I don't run away with you. Besides, ma'am, I got the tickets on purpose.' "'If you were determined, sir,' said I, in making me this offer, to allow me no choice of refusal or acceptance, I must think myself less obliged to your intention than I was willing to do." "'Dear ma'am,' cried he, "'you're so smart there is no speaking to you. Indeed, you are a monstrous smart ma'am. But come, your grandma shall ask you, and then I shall know you'll not be so cruel." Madame Duval was very ready to interfere. She desired me to make no further opposition, said she should go herself, and insisted upon my accompanying her. It was in vain that I remonstrated. I only incurred her anger, and Mr. Smith, having given both the tickets to Madame Duval with an air of triumph, said he should call early in the evening, and took leave. I was much chagrined at being thus compelled to owe even the shadow of an obligation to so forward a young man but i determined that nothing should prevail upon me to dance with him however my refusal might give offence in the afternoon when he returned it was evident that he purposed to both charm and astonish me by his appearance he was dressed in a very showy manner but without any taste And the inelegant smartness of his air and deportment, his visible struggle against education to put on the fine gentleman, added to his frequent conscious glances at a dress to which he was but little accustomed, very effectually destroyed his aim of figuring, and rendered all his efforts useless. During tea entered Miss Branton and her brother. I was sorry to observe the consternation of the former, when she perceived Mr. Smith. I had intended applying to her for advice upon this occasion, but had been always deterred by her disagreeable abruptness. Having cast her eyes several times from Mr. Smith to me, with manifest displeasure, she seated herself sullenly in the window, scarce answering Madame Duval's enquiries, and when I spoke to her, turning absolutely away from me. Mr. Smith, delighted at this mark of his importance, sat indolently quiet on his chair, endeavouring by his looks rather to display than to conceal his inward satisfaction. Good gracious, cried young Branton, why you're all as fine as a fivepence Why where are you going to the Hampstead ball answered Mr. Smith to a ball cried he what why is Aunt going to a ball?" "'Ha, ha, ha!' "'Yes, to be sure,' cried Madame Duval. "'I don't know nothing need hinder me. "'And, pray, aunt, will you dance too?' "'Perhaps I may, but I suppose so that's none of your business, whether I do or not.' "'Lord! Well, I should like to go. I should like to see aunt dance, of all things. But the joke is, I don't believe she'll ever get a partner.' "'You the most rudest boy ever, I see.' said Madame Duval angrily.—But I promise you, I'll tell your father what you say, for I've no notion of such vulgarness." "'Why, Lord, aunt, what are you so angry for? There's no speaking a word but you fly into a passion. You're as bad as Biddy, or Paul, for that, For you're always a scolding." "'I desire, Tom,' cried Miss Branton, "'that you speak for yourself, and not make so free with my name.' "'There, now, she's up. There's nothing but quarrelling with the women, and it's my belief they like it better than victuals and drink.' Why, Tom!' cried Mr. Smith. "'You never remember your manners before the ladies. I'm sure you never heard me speak so rude to them.' "'Why, Lord, you were a beau, but that's nothing to me. So if you've a mind, you may be so polite as to dance with Aunt yourself.' Then, with a loud laugh, he declared it would be good fun to see them— "'Let it be never so good, or never so bad,' cried Madame Duval. "'You won't see nothing of it, I promise you. So pray don't let me hear no more of such vulgar pieces of fun, for I assure you I don't like it. And as to my dancing with Mr. Smith, you may see wonderfuler things than that any day in the week.' "'What well, as to that, ma'am?' said Mr. Smith, looking much surprised. I always thought you intended to play at cards, and so I thought to dance with the young lady." I gladly seized this opportunity to make my declaration, that I should not dance at all." "'Not dance at all?' repeated Miss Branton. "'Yes, that's a likely matter truly, when people go to balls.' "'I wish she mayn't,' said the brother, "'cause then Mr. Smith will have nobody but aunt for a partner. Lord, how mad he'll be! "'Oh, as to that,' said Mr. Smith, "'I don't at all fear of prevailing with the young lady if once I get her to the room.' "'Indeed, sir,' cried I, much offended by his conceit, "'you are mistaken, and therefore I beg leave to undeceive you, as you may be assured my resolution will not alter.' "'Then pray, miss, if it is not impertinent,' cried Miss Branton sneeringly, "'what do you go for?' "'Merely and solely.' answered I, to comply with the request of Madame Duval. "'Miss!' cried young Branghton, "'Beard only wishes it was she, for she has cast a sheep's eye at Mr. Smith this long while.' "'Tom!' cried the sister, rising, "'of the greatest mind in the world to box your ears! How dare you say such a thing of me!' "'No, hang it, Tom, no, that's wrong,' said Mr. Smith, simpering. "'It is indeed to tell the lady's secrets. But never mind him, Miss Biddy, for I won't believe him." "'Why, no Bid would give her ears to go,' returned the brother. "'But only Mr. Smith likes Miss Bess. So does everybody else.' While well, the sister gave him a very angry answer, Mr. Smith said to me in a low voice, "'Why, now, Mum, how can he be so cruel as to be so much handsomer than your cousins? Nobody can look at them while you are by.' Miss." cried young Branton,—'Whatever he says to you, don't mind him, for he means no good. I'll give you my word for it, he'll never marry you. For he has told me again and again, he'll never marry as long as he lives. Besides, if he'd any mind to be married, theirs bid would have had him long ago, and thanked him too." "'Come, come, Tom, don't tell secrets, you'll make the ladies afraid of me. But I assure you,' lowering his voice, if I DID marry, it should be your cousin." should be. Did you ever, my dear sir, hear such unauthorized freedom? I looked at him with a contempt I did not wish to repress, and walked to the other end of the room. Very soon after, Mr. Smith sent for a hackney-coach. When I would have taken leave of Miss Branton, she turned angrily from me, without making any answer. She supposes, perhaps, that I have rather sought, than endeavoured to avoid, the notice sensibilities of this conceited young man. The ball was at the long room at Hampstead. This room seems very well named, for I believe it would be difficult to find any other epithet which might with propriety distinguish it, as it is without ornament, elegance, or any sort of singularity, and merely to be marked by its length. I was saved from the importunities of Mr. Smith, the beginning of the evening, by Madame Duval's declaring her intention to dance the first two dances with him herself. Mr. Smith's chagrin was very evident, but as she paid no regard to it, he was necessitated to lead her out. I was, however, by no means pleased when she said she was determined to dance a minuet. Indeed I was quite astonished, not having had the least idea she would have consented to, much less proposed, such an exhibition of her person. She had some trouble to make her intentions known, as Mr. Smith was rather averse to speaking to the master of the ceremonies. During this minuet, how much did I rejoice in being surrounded only with strangers! She danced in a style so uncommon. Her age, her showy dress, and an unusual quantity of rouge, drew upon her the eyes, and I fear the derision, of the whole company. Whom she danced with, I know not, but Mr. Smith was so ill-bred as to laugh at her very openly, and to speak of her with as much ridicule as was in his power but I would neither look at nor listen to him, nor would I suffer him to proceed with any speech which he began, expressive to his vexation at being forced to dance with her. I told him very gravely that complaints upon such a subject might, with less impropriety, be made to every person in the room than to me. When she returned to us, she distressed me very much by asking what I thought of her minuet. I spoke as civilly as I could. But the coldness of my compliment evidently disappointed her. She then called upon Mr. Smith to secure a good place among the country dancers, and away they went, though not before he had taken the liberty to say to me in a low voice, "'I protest to you, ma'am, I shall be quite out of countenance if any of my acquaintance should see me dancing with the old lady.' For a few moments I very much rejoiced at being relieved from this troublesome man but scarce had I time to congratulate myself, before I was accosted by another, who begged the favour of hopping a dance with me. I told him that I should not dance at all, but he thought proper to importune me, very freely, not to be so cruel, that I was obliged to assume no little haughtiness before I could satisfy him I was serious. After this, I was addressed much in the same manner, by several other young men, of whom the appearance and language were equally inelegant and low-bred so that I soon found my situation was both disagreeable and improper, since, as I was quite alone, I fear I must seem rather to invite than to forbid the offers and notice I received. And yet so great was my apprehension of this interpretation, that I am sure, my dear sir, you would have laughed had you seen how proudly grave I appeared. I knew not whether to be glad or sorry when Madame Duval and Mr. Smith returned. The latter instantly renewed his tiresome entreaties, and Madame Duval said she would go to the card-table, and as soon as she was accommodated, she desired us to join the dancers. I will not trouble you with the arguments which followed. Mr. Smith teased me till I was weary of resistance, and I should at last have been obliged to submit had I not fortunately recollected the affair of Mr. Lovell, and told my persecutor that it was impossible I should dance with him, even if I wished it, as I had refused several persons in his absence. He was not contented with being extremely chagrined, but took the liberty, openly and warmly, to expostulate with me upon not having said I was engaged. The total disregard with which, involuntarily, I heard him, made him soon change the subject. In truth, I had no power to attend to him, for all my thoughts were occupied in retracing the transactions of the two former balls at which I had been present. The party, the conversation, the company—oh, how great the contrast! In a short time, however, he contrived to draw my attention to himself, by his extreme impertinence. For he chose to express what he called his admiration of me in terms so open and familiar that he forced me to express my displeasure with equal plainness but how was i surprised when i found he had the temerity what else can i call it to impute my resentment into doubts of his honour for he said "'My dear ma'am, you must be a little patient. I assure you, I have no bad designs, I have not upon my word. But really, there is no resolving upon such a thing as matrimony, all at once, what with the loss of one's liberty, and what with the ridicule of all one's acquaintance. I assure you, ma'am, you are the first lady who ever made me even demur upon this subject. For after all, my dear ma'am, marriage is the devil.' "'Your opinion, sir?' answered I, of either the married or the single life can be of no manner of consequence to me, and therefore I would by no means trouble you to discuss their different merits." "'Why, really, ma'am, as to your being a little out of sorts, I must own I can't wonder at it, for to be sure marriage is all in all with the ladies. But with us gentlemen it's quite another thing. Now only put yourself in my place. Suppose you had such a large acquaintance of gentlemen as I have, and that you had always been used to appear a little—a little smart among them. Why, now, could you like to let yourself down all at once into a married man?" I could not tell what to answer. So much conceit and so much ignorance both astonished and silenced me. "'I assure you, ma'am,' added he, there is not only Miss Biddy, though I should have scorned to mention her, if her brother had not blabbed, for I am quite particular in keeping ladies' secrets, but there are a great many other ladies that have been proposed to me. But I never thought twice of any of them, that is, not in a serious way. So you may very well be proud," offering to take my hand, for I assure you, there is nobody so likely to catch me at last as yourself. "'Sir!' cried I, drawing myself back as haughtily as I could. You are totally mistaken if you imagine you have given me any pride I felt not before by this conversation. On the contrary, you must allow me to tell you I find it too humiliating to bear with it any longer." I then placed myself behind the chair of Madame Duval, who, when she heard of the partners I had refused, pitied my ignorance of the world, but no longer insisted upon my dancing. Indeed, the extreme vanity of this man makes me exert a spirit which I did not till now know that I possessed, but I cannot endure that he should think me at his disposal." The rest of the evening passed very quietly, as Mr. Smith did not again attempt speaking to me, except, indeed, after we had left the room, and while Madame Duval was sitting herself on the couch, he said in a voice of pique, Next time I take the trouble to get any tickets for a young lady, I'll make a bargain beforehand—that she shan't turn me over to her grandmother." We came home very safe, and thus ended this so long-projected and most disagreeable affair. End of letter 50